She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm Sarah Gorski, and listeners, I'm so, so excited to introduce you to one of my very best friends in the whole world, a friend from college, nonetheless, Earl T. Kim. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Earl, who are you? My name is Earl T. Kim. I am an actor, voice actor, director storyteller, choreographer, person who does things. Didn't you just do like a really big famous video game? Oh, yeah. Uh, Most, I guess, notably, I play the role of Norio in the PlayStation game Ghost of Tsushima. If there are any gamers out there, yeah, that's that's me. I'm the voice and the face and the body adi adi. <laughs> Earl, I am so excited that you are with us today. Obviously, audience, you're listening and so you can't see his face, but uh, and you can't tell that my friend Earl is Korean. And I realized when I invited him and he said yes, which I was so excited about, I realized, audience, we haven't even done a single Korean broad yet, and I'm so embarrassed. So today, Earl, I am bringing a Korean broad for us to talk about. Oh, yes. Oh, there's a lot of great Korean broads out there. There are so many. I don't know when I, when I say Korean broad, I just immediately slip into an Australian accent. <laughs> oh, oh, the Korean broads. It's the word broad, right? I think I think broad is very. It, it, there's something about oh, it's, oh, these broads. Then at the same time, like I feel like a New Yorker, like a like oh, a bunch of broad. I don't know, like it's just such a great like oldie timey. Like I need a cigar and a monocle, and then I need to be you know disrespecting them. <laughs> Disrespect. Kidding. Jokes. Take know, that he's out. Just kidding. He's just kidding. He's a super <laughs> ally. And feminist. Would you consider yourself a feminist? Oh, fucking yeah. I would say that I am a radical feminist. Radical. He might be more radical than me, even. Although I've gotten really saucy lately. So I'm, I might yes. Have. Anyway, Earl, I'm here to bring you today Ryu Guansun. Have you heard of her? Yes. Absolutely. She is a hero. She's like... She is a Korean folk hero. Like she's yes. like she's she's risen to like she's not just like a she was an actual person. She's a real person. She existed. But then like she she like has come to sort of embody the spirit of an independent, youthful, free thinking Korea. That is my understanding as well after all my research. <laughs> this is I'm really excited cuz I feel like she's also her story is incredibly beautiful and sad and okay wonderful. don't give it away like yeah i'm not gonna give it away but like i'm so i'm just so excited <laughs> that we're talking about her <laughs> i am too i like literally just googled amazing korean women and got this huge yeah. list audience did you know you can do that you can just google like a country and amazing women and this like and lists of amazing women. and my mom shows up my mom does that list. <laughs> oh snap maybe your mom do you think your mom will listen to the podcast probably not but maybe i'll tell her to if i'm my like mom, mom i talk about you on the podcast she'll be like no nah, i'm definitely not gonna listen to it let's talk about ryu guansun yes so ryu 
was born on December 16th, 1902 in... Okay, I'm trying with these Korean names, audience, and Earl might have to fix them because he actually does speak Korean. So she was born in Pyeongchang? Pyeongchang. Ah, I was close. She was in Chungcheon. Chungcheon province. Pyeongchang is the city she was born in, right? Yeah. It's near the bigger city of Cheonan. 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 It's near the bigger (laughs) city of Cheonan. And about fifty-three miles south of Seoul in the South Chungcheong. Dang, province. these are these are some specific coordinates. You, you're, I love fifty-three miles south. You'll be able to find. I like to put in a reference to one of the really big cities that everybody knows about, so it's we good. get like no, some no, no. sort yeah, of yeah, relative no. geography. Since exactly, we're listening to podcasts and we're not looking at maps right now. So, uh, so like 50, 50 miles south of Seoul, she's the second daughter of five children. And all of the sources that I found specifically mentioned they go out of their way to specifically mention that they were a Christian family. Yeah. So what you should know is that uh, Christianity is incredibly rare at this time in Korea. Oh. Christianity is incredibly rare pretty much everywhere. I mean, less rare in Japan because of a lot of missionary work that was happening since like the 16 or 1700s. But at least in Korea as well, like Christianity is pretty, it's not, it's not widespread because culturally Buddhism and Confucianism are kind of the way of the land. It's very contemporary. It's very, it's very new. Her story is filled with connections to Christianity, though, and and their schools. Mm-hmm. So that's really interesting that that then that they were kind of mm-hmm. like in the minority in that way. She was she was said to have been an extremely bright child. She could memorize Bible passages after hearing them only one time, which I find really impressive because I yeah. don't memorize that quickly. <laughs> she was Sunday school valedictorian, <laughs> <laughs> making us all look bad. Thanks. Thanks, Kwanzun. So, oh, also one one thing that I should note is that uh, so her first name is actually Kwanzun. Ryu is actually her family name; it's her surname. Oh, but because in Korea, the way that we write names is last name first, and then so it's surname, then given name is the way that Korean names are structured. So in English, you would reverse the name, so her name would be Kwanzun Ryu. Okay, I'm going to call yeah. it Kwansun and not Ryu. Why would every article listed it in the reverse? That's crazy. <laughs> well, because that's that's the thing where like the English translation, it, it's correct because that's the way it's written in Korean. But in Korean, we just write the last name first. Well, I wish that I wish that English speaking countries could get their shit together and just do it right. <laughs> so her father, obviously, and mother, I'm assuming, both raised her in Christianity, but they also instilled some of the Confucian values and they were also like kind of civic minded. Like they were also people who were very Korean proud. Like they were very mm-hmm. proud of their heritage and their culture and mm-hmm. they really instilled that in her. So she she really loved her country. When she was old enough, she she was encouraged by a local missionary who was around their hometown to go to this boarding school called, ah, I'm going to get it wrong, Ewa Haktang? Uh, yeah, so it's it's basically Ewa. Ewa Haktang? Yeah, Ewa Haktang. Yeah. In Seoul. So they were like, oh, she's so smart. And you know what would be even better for her education would be to send her to Ewa Haktang. You could just basically call it Ewa School. Yeah, here's a bit of trivia. My mom went to this school. What? Yeah, my mom is out. (laughs) Yeah, my mother is a graduate of Iwa. The the, it's a it's a whole school system now. Like it's grown into this beautiful, like gigantic, like educational stalwart. Like essentially, I would say if Sarah Lawrence was still female only, they are considered to be an Ivy League women's university, high school, and grades, like, primary school system. They have, like, a whole thing now. 
Wow. I had, okay, audience, I had no idea that Earl was literally connected. Well, at, at this time, though, when Kwan Soon is going there, it's this is the first the first school. Like, it was just created. It's very, very new. And at the beginning, from my understanding, is that it was established by some American missionaries. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of the first modern institution, education institution for women in Korea. Yes. Because women, generically, there like weren't a lot of schools for women. Women like weren't no. educated very much. Which is common ar- across the world in this time period. That's not a new fact. Uh, audience, uh, I'm assuming that you know as little as I did about... Korean history and what is going on at this time period. Um, And Earl's going to totally probably chime in with way more information and better information. (laughs) But at this time in Korea, and it's the whole peninsula, it's not split into North and South Korea until the end of World War II. One nation still. At this time period, when Kwonsun is alive, it has come under the illegal annexation of Japan. So in 1910, Japan declares Korea under its rule, like the U.S. did with Hawaii, which we've talked about on previous episodes. I mean, yeah. (laughs) They basically just like rocked up and were like, no, this is ours now. Yeah. They were like, no, it's ours now. And Japan literally aggressively starts to do its best to like eliminate Yep. Well, they, they say assimilate, but they mean eliminate Korean cultures. It like gives Korea a new name. I'm not even going to say it because it doesn't deserve any respect. <laughs> and they were forcing people not to speak or write Korean. And Korean citizens were, were basically robbed of their freedom of speech and press and publication yeah. and assembly. And the Japanese were like snapping up the land and, and taking it for themselves, stealing yeah. it from the Koreans. Property. They were like, oh, you don't have a, the right you know, certificate of land ownership. So this is mine now. Where yeah. really it was the Japanese who invented the certificates in the first place. And like, yeah. it's all this insane bullshit, right? There's a lot of really unfortunate things that happened. That covers a large chunk of it. I think the main thing to note is that, you know, this is, it's 1910. Yeah. It's it's so wild to think that it's so, that it's, that it's like, oh, you know, colonialism and like all this stuff was happening back in the day. It's like, it was the 1800s, right? It was like, no, it was 1910. No, it's 100, that's 115 years ago. It's not <laughs> it's that yes. fucking long ago. Uh, my grandparents lived through it. My grandmother, my grandfather were alive, uh, were children, and they were, you know, going through this. They were born into a country that was not under anyone else's rule and then were a part of a country that was, you know, they... Fucking crazy. And and you talked about it. They had the language taken away. They had they were renamed. Your grandparents were renamed. Yeah, my grandparents were renamed, which is really oh a bizarre thing. Like they weren't, you know, and they had had their name, you know, like the family had given them their name, you know, they had. But essentially, Japan was yeah, sort of trying to erase all sorts of things. Like here's another thing that happened. Like Japan destroyed a lot of historical and archaeological artifacts. Yes, I read that too. That tied the uh, original colonizers and, and people who migrated off of the landmass of the extension of Korea into Japan, they they essentially tried to to destroy a lot of ancient burial sites, ancient Ugh. archaeological digs, essentially that denoted that there was a culture shared between those the two countries in a way, which is really bizarre to think so of. So weird. You know, and but but here's another thing, like one of the things that the Japanese government also did, which is really wild, but this sounds really, it sounds really kind of woo-woo, but to essentially break the spirit of Korea, they tried to destroy monuments or even like rock formations or natural sites or beds that they believed to like either have like be concentrations of like 
good mystical energy. Yeah. <laughs> like they were like, blow it up. Like, and you're like, oh, wow. So that's awful. a that's a really I mean, and that's just sort of this really it's it's a really aggressive type of a really, really aggressive type of colonialism. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not, not even unusual for, for that particular part of, of the continent because China does some of the same things in other places. We talked about like the time when the original like, you know, Mulan may have may have existed and mm-hmm. like they that the same thing was happening like her her people were were getting cynicized they say for yeah when, when china does it too it still blo- just blows my mind and breaks my heart though that that you would just go in and say this doesn't exist anymore anyway all that shit happens when she's like two or three years old as a kid she's only known the annexed version of korea but her family still had all their Korean pride and instilled that in her. So she goes off to this, to this boarding school in Seoul. And I don't, so here, so there's a bunch of gaps in the research, Earl, and maybe you know some of the, the filling of the gaps, because the only thing I know next is kind of the, the big thing that she does. <laughs> well, I mean, I think really what, what should be known is that at this point in time in the world, and, and this point in time in Korea, you know, educating women, educating girls, especially was like, why would you do that? Like, it was sort of seen as this really like, like, okay, sure, I guess if you want kind of thing, mainly because sort of Korea is a Confucianist society. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes the, the role of the woman to, was to be a good wife, a good mother, you know, the, right. her idea, the idea and ideal of who a, a, a woman should be was always sort of in context of her family and her husband and her children. Those mm-hmm. were sort of the, the, the ways that f- women could exist in Korea and in sort of Confucian-based societies at that point. And so mm-hmm. it was a huge, you know, it, it, right at this point, it's sort of like, Ryu Gansun sort of is this, you know, she's going through this phase where her tiny little brain is being blown by all of these things that, you yeah. know, generations of women before her weren't allowed to even think about, you know, like sort of. I and with other women too. So she's at this girls' school and she's with other girls her age and being taught by these ostensibly more progressive missionaries that, you know, were a little more forward thinking about women's roles. And so she was just getting educated the shit out of her. And then we get to kind of the big part of the story here. So on March 1st, 1919. She's now 16 years old. Her and four of her classmates go out to the streets to protest the Japanese occupation and and military, and they declare Korea's independence, and they shout, Mansai. Is that right? Mansai. Manse. 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 So literally, Manse means hands up. It's basically like you say, raise the roof. Like you're, you're basically going, woo. Um, so, and the, the idea is te, te han dongnip manse is the phrase. So te han dongnip is like unified liberation. Like our unified Korean liberation, yeah. celebrate. God, all these research documents all seem like garbage now when I have a translator with me. <laughs> we got co- yeah, we got context. That's what I, that's what I'm here for. But all these protesters come together. Um, you know, people people are already are already feeling protesty, I would say. And so they go out on the streets and more and more people join them and they go to Pagoda Park and they read aloud this new declaration of independence, which was written by Shonam Seong and signed by 33 Korean cultural and religious leaders. And the protest is so big that it develops kind of a a really famous name, which is Samiljo. 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 (laughs) 
I want to learn how to speak Korean now. I, it's so beautiful. Um, so Samit Jo translates to 3-1 or March 1st, basically. Yeah. And if you think of like modern context, it's like Arab Spring kind of like, and, and these other protests that have happened recently, they kind of got so big that now they have a big name. That's kind of what's going on here. Uh, and the day after the protest, some of the other protest organizers come to her at school and they're like, Guansoon, you and your friends should join up with us. We're going to do another big demonstration in a couple days. Guansoon was like, hell yeah. Although she probably didn't swear. She was a good Christian. So maybe she didn't swear, but <laughs> yes, <laughs> heck yes, I will. Uh, and then on March 5th, three days later, her and her friends march at Nam Dae Moon, which mm-hmm. is uh, a big gate in central Seoul. And they are all detained. The Japanese authorities come in and arrest them. Somehow the missionaries from the school like go in and they're like, no, 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 no. And they get them released. But the Japanese military and and government authorities that were, quote, in power were very worried because these protests were very, very effective. They were real popular. (laughs) It was like a huge flurry of protest activity and more and more people were joining every day across the whole country. One of the things that I think needs to be noted about sort of the, the climate in Korea at this time, like you, you were essentially being policed on a daily basis. Like you couldn't, you couldn't speak Korean in public. People weren't allowed to interact with each other in public. There were also sort of like spies and and people that worked mm. for the Japanese government, essentially that were keeping tabs and making sure people weren't speaking Korean or like communicating in Korean. That that people weren't printing things in Korean or writing in Korean. So then, yeah. when these sort of a lot of these a lot of these demonstrations were like. You know, they were coming out with with printed material that was printed in Korea. They were coming out with, you know, there were there were there were protest songs and marches and things happening in Korean. So it was based. It kind of opened the dam. Like it was, it was both like the the straw that broke the camel's back. But these these protests basically sort of helped the rest of the country realize just how much everyone else was also ready for things to change. For sure. And so people started coming out across the country. People start coming out and doing more protests. And the Japanese colonial government was like, oh, we got to shut this shit down. And so on March 10th, they order all schools across the country to be closed. So Guansoon has to go back home. So remember, she lives like 50 miles south of Seoul. But apparently, as she goes, she's able to smuggle a copy of the Declaration of Independence with her. So she like shuffles that in her bag and she goes back home. The, the the Korean Declaration of Independence. <laughs> not this is this does not turn into national treasure. <laughs> I could just imagine it being like, and then Nicholas Cage shows up and it's on. <laughs> How did this young Korean girl get a copy of the Declaration of Independence? I don't know, but Nicholas Cage shows up and they go through a series of exploits. But it's like, so so it's a brand new document, anti-Japanese government, Korean independence, just printed. It's not even allowed to be printed because it's in Korean. Yep, so it's also, it's, it's hella illegal to have that shit yeah, yeah. like in your bag. So she, she gets it home though. And she gets home and she's more fired up than ever. She's like not even at all for a second deterred from all of her activities. So she, and she gets her family fired up too. I'm sure they were like already mildly fired up. She gets home. She's like, they shut down the schools and they're all like, what the fuck? So they all start going door to door and village to village. And they start rallying all of the local residents and nearby towns to organize their own protests. Um, and they make like handmade tagayuki. Is that how you say it? He-guk-gi. 
Te so Kuki is Te Kuki is flag, and then Te it's essentially the Korean flag. So that's so little. I'll just say the little Korean flag since I'm bad at pronouncing that word. Yeah. Uh, so they, but they like hand make all these little Korean flags, and they're like handing them out, and they're like they're. It's like a family activity. They're all kind of involved in all this together. And then her and her family, they start to organize like a big protest in their hometown on April 1st. And they're going to be protesting at the Aune marketplace in, in their hometown. And the night before the rally, Guansun goes up to the top of Mount Maibong and she lights a beacon on fire at the top to help like gather all the people they've been talking to, to the rally. And the next day, over 3000 people in this little town show up for this rally. And I, I don't know the significance of this guy. I didn't look him up. Cho Inwan read the Declaration of Independence out loud. I'm assuming he's another figure in the in the revolution. Mm-hmm. And Kwan Soon leads the crowd, cheering for independence, and they're all waving their little flags, and the turnout's like fucking amazing. But the Japanese military local branch are not having it. <laughs> and they literally open fire on the peaceful protest, and they kill 19 people including Kwan Soon's parents. Yep. A side note, you know, we talked about how her dad had instilled all the civic values. Apparently, a total of nine members of her family spanning three different generations are involved in this independence movement, which is just fucking awesome. Yeah. So following the murder of her parents, she goes to the, the local Japanese authorities and she's like, what the fuck? That's a peaceful demonstration, y'all, and peaceful demonstrations should be allowed. Oh, I mean, she was arrested as well. You should know. And naturally, the police respond to her complaint by arresting her. And she is convicted of sedition, and she is sentenced to three years in prison. Apparently, one of the sources I I had said that she was offered a lighter sentence if she admitted her guilt and helped to apprehend her collaborators. But she would not snitch, even when they started like beating her and torturing her. The Japanese were extra, extra, extra pissed about all of it. And so in extra retaliation to her and her complaints and her family and the protests, they burn down her family home. And apparently her uncle, Young Mu, goes to the police. He carries the body of his dead brother and he protests as well. And they arrest him too. And he goes and serves three years in prisons for his actions. Fucking Japanese. This is a part of the story where we really (laughs) dislike the Japanese. Um, well, apparently, or, no, we dislike the Japanese. The, the we dislike the colonial Japanese. The, the colonial, colonial Japanese ja- of this time the colo- period. The colonial Japanese government of the time period. We're hating on the col- colonizers here. The colonizers. <laughs> Not every person who is Japanese. Um, so apparently, though, it, this type of response seems to have been kind of the common reaction of the Japanese military at the time. Jun Kil Kim, who is the author of History of Korea, says that by the time these um, protests are eventually put down, which is like a few weeks after this big protest, an estimated 2 million people out of a population of 20 million had participated in these protests. And there were 1,500, over 1,500 pro-independence marches and more than 7,000 people had been killed and 46,000 had been jailed. So the military response was pretty across the board, not just in her hometown there. Yeah. So Guan Soon is sent to the infamous So De Moon. So De Moon, yeah. So De Moon prison in Seoul. Even after she's in prison, she doesn't stop protesting. She She's demanding the release of her other prisoners. But she's very loud about her pro-Korean independence view. 
She shouts at her captors all the time. And then on the the one year anniversary of the March one movement, she, they like throw this big large scale protest inside inside the prison. The prison. <laughs> <laughs> like, like we don't need to be outside. We could do it in here. But eventually the Japanese captors get a little bit sick of her and they transfer her to an underground cell. So she's isolated from everybody and her beatings and torture kind of escalate. And they've been happening the whole time, we're sure. And then they they continue to kind of escalate. Also, just a quick note. She's a child. She's 16, 17 years old at this point, right? (laughs) This is a a child we're talking about. And eventually on September 28th, 1920, Kwan Soon dies. As a result of these horrific beatings and, of course, malnutrition. Date is questionable. Oh, the date's questionable? Is that so? Everything about her death is questionable. So one of the big things about Ryugansun is that there's a lot of difficulty in people, because her teachers actually, I think, were the ones that were tried, that tried to get her body back because they wanted to give her like a proper like funeral in, in you know, the proper funerary way. They also were worried that she because you know she was a child and and they knew she was being tortured and she was connected to westerners uh yeah you know the jap the japanese government they were scared oh god if we get caught and they realize that this body's been tortured and you know this could if these nice white ladies if these nice white ladies find this out so they like held on to the corpse till the evidence kind of disappeared more of the beatings is that well so that's partly it her body was released to to her teachers in like in a barrel or like a an an oil crate i believe whoa this is not it didn't show up in my research like it yeah it's it's like the body had was in basically was in a condition that like there there would not have been a way to determine just how much the extent of torture or something. There are all sorts of rumors back, like I know in the day, like they were talking about how like, oh, her body was cut up into pieces, oh. like and completely dismembered. Uh, I think that was, I think I believe that was like sensational, like, but still like there was just, there was a lot of uncertainty around that. Yeah. And it was very kind of. Um, well, because the people who, Gave the body over and the report yeah, there, of her it death was it was so shady, <laughs> and yeah. they were being so shady about it. So uh, she was but- seventeen. She was seventeen years old, supposedly, though, when when she died. Before she died, I'll say there's this great quote from her. She wrote from prison: "Japan will fall, and even if my fingernails are torn out, my nose and ears are ripped apart, and my legs are and arms are crushed. This physical pain does not compare to the pain of losing my nation." My only remorse is not being able to do more than dedicate my life to this country. I know. (laughs) Right? March 1st is now a national holiday. Yeah. You just, you still call it Samuel Jiol, right? Yeah, Samuel Jiol. Yeah. And, you know, the the actual protests themselves are are known as Samuel Undong. Undong is the, uh, it's the Korean word for exercise, but it sort of means like it's like the the day when, when the people were flexing their, Peopleness, <laughs> I guess, is, is sort of the the best. But it's it's like like it's like it's it's a like undong. Like undong is sort of a a word that gets used for a lot of like protests and movements because it, it, essentially movement, I would yeah. say, is the better. That makes sense. Is the that more broad translation, translation of it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so eventually, 
Ryu Gansun had a funeral. Her body was dressed and 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 she was buried. However, that cemetery is not, was destroyed. <laughs> yeah. In 1962, the Korean government posthumously awards her an order of merit for independence. There is a museum at the Ewa uh, Museum. Ewa yeah. Museum commemorates her life. Um, they have like a little model classroom, like the kind of classroom that she was taught in. And they have yep. like a bunch of items and photographs from not only her life, but also the movement in general. Um, and I found some of those pictures. I'm going to post them on the website too, listeners. Nice. So check them out. You can take a look at all of them. In 2015, a previous prime minister of Japan visited and he he acknowledged and apologized for all the crimes, which is one some, someone coming to apologize he says, I am here today to offer my sincerest apologies from the bottom of my heart to those who were, who were tortured and killed here. He specifically goes to the mm-hmm. museum. Yeah. And then in 2015, um, United Nations Secretary General Ban Ki-moon received a doctorate at Ewa. And uh, his, in his speech, he honors Kwan Soon and he compares her to Joan of Arc and said, quote, I want to speak about a great young Korean woman who lost her own freedom so that others could be free. This is proof that violence can kill a person, but not their memory, not their ideals. Her patriotism demonstrates the great way she lived and died. And I thought that was a really nice quote. Obviously, much more happens. Korea doesn't get its independence until World War II. uh, And then lots of other drama happens Mm -hmm. that splits it in two. And and there's lots lots more to that story. But Guan Soon for you is a huge part of it. So... Yeah, I'm think. Did I miss anything, Earl? Do you feel like really? I think that those are pretty much the main points you got. Well, well done. She's a fucking she badass a, broad. She was a badass broad. She was a badass young broad. So young, just at the beginning of her life, and and one thing that stands out to me in the story, among so many other things, is how, is the power of education and how scared the Japanese were. Like the first thing they do is close all the schools. Yeah. And and how much that makes such a difference in the lives of all people, like to to have a, a better knowledge of, of what lies outside of maybe the the tiny confines of, you know, where they were born or where they grew up and, and yeah. how else the world can be and then what you can do with that power. And your mom went to that school. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. My mom is a graduate of of uh. you know, women's women's schools. I mean, honestly, without that, without that school system, I would not be here. And my life would have been way worse without you. That's for sure. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Earl, for joining me for the story you already knew. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for telling it. It's so interesting because it's also like a thing where like this story I know I've known as a kid, you know, like I've known since ever, you know, but at the same time, it's just it's so great hearing about it from someone else. It's, it's lovely. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being my guest. I'm so, so tickled that you are here. To learn more about Hugh Kwan Soon, you can visit broadsyoushouldknow.com. We've got a bunch of awesome pictures of her and where she grew up and went to school. It's very cool. While you're on the website, you should click over to the About page and learn more about Earl, all his info and links to his work and his social media accounts. Speaking of social media, have you followed Broads You Should Know yet? We're on Instagram and Facebook at Broad You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or you can email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. Do you like us and do you want to help us? Then you should share us. And better yet, 
you should leave us a review on your podcasting platforms. That really helps other people who want to hear about awesome broads to find us. Broads You Should Know is hosted by me, Sarah Gorski. It is edited by Chloe Skye with music by Darren Callahan. If the story of Hugh Kwan Soon really inspired you, we have some other amazing teenage activists and sometimes martyr broads that we have covered. So you should also give a listen to Sophie Scholl, Malala, Greta Thunberg, Nakano Takeko, and Fama Mohammed. All right, we'll see you next week for another broad you should know.